y bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de esa mejor cerveza y felicidades a los campeones Licey de la Dominicana. Buen trabajo. That's it. Will the thrill not with us this morning, but will be with us this evening. 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 o'clock, thrill time. Miguelito San Dieguito, who knows where the fuck he is. But not only do we properly salute our boys, we properly salute each and every one of you. Yes, 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 yes. Woo! Remember this, folks, when we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. It is as simple as that. So we have plans to bring on legendary 49ers photographer, Michael Zagaris. I just sent him the guest link. Hopefully he figures it out. I should have tried to. I don't know, say test the tech a little bit earlier with Z-Man. But, hey, I got confidence that he'll figure it out and will join us before the show is over. Let's not forget our title sponsor, Bet Online, the number one online betting destination with the Super Bowl just around the corner. NBA action in full swing. Bet Online. Is a place to go for all of your latest news, odds, scores, and predictions. Don't forget to put in the promo code BLEAV, capital B L E A V, to receive 50% off your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts and not to diminish. What we have above me right here. That's right. If you're watching on No Filter Network, Caffeine TV, Fubo, wherever, you'll see the Daily Hustle cool logo. You see the KT tape symbol with a QR code. If you're dealing with any sort of nagging injury, a shoulder, a knee, whatever, your back, get some KT tape. This stuff is electric. You put it on. It lifts the skin, promotes blood flow to the area, decreases inflammation, and typically the result of that is alleviates pain. KT tape deflaming muscles since its creation. And then, lastly here, but certainly not least, we like to bring a little weed into the show. If you think about the title sponsors, I mean, it's just perfect, right? You got the gambling. You have the healthy body, whatever it takes to keep moving. And we have marijuana in a bottle. But it's not the marijuana get me high, uh, fucked up, lazy, unproductive. Uh -uh. This is cannabis, lemon, ginger, honey, all rolled up into one little thing of greatness. It helps with focus. It helps with sustained energy. Through the course of the day. So let's make sure we cheers our guy, Jory, over at 
tryverge.com. Put in the promo code. You ready for this? LTP10. That's right. Repeat this again. Promo code. LTP10 for a discount on The Verge. Mm. <sighs> so soothing on the throat. Really is. All right. So today, we bring you the electronic email communication. If you have not signed up for this, I don't know. I can't help you. I'll put a link in my story time today as well. I want everybody to get on board before Thursday. Thursday will be the first day of the Daily Hustle 22-day challenge. So I know there's a lot of people that see the thousands. And I could tell you, I'm sure not everybody is signed up on the email list. In order to be a part of the challenge, it's simple. You don't have to pay shit. We used to charge for it. You used to charge 22 bucks. Now, it's free. The reason being, we can have a bigger impact. And ultimately, if you do sign up for the email list, and then you get the challenges, and then it's going to be 22 straight days coming at you, and if you're able to complete them, and you can make them as easy or as hard as you want, the challenges are going to be there. But we have to set it for different skill sets, effort levels, what you're trained up to do. Ultimately, you're the decider of that. But if you are able to finish, we then will make, trying to get him right here, Flippy, our double Birdman, available for you at the end of the challenge. Now, a lot of people have asked me, including my kids, like, what happens if you make Flippy available yet somebody doesn't complete the challenge? I'm like, that's on them. If they want to go buy the prize, they can buy the prize. But ultimately, they are the ones that are going to know whether or not they completed the challenge. And look, if you don't want to wear this to work, you don't want to wear it to school, you're a little ashamed or embarrassed to wear it in public, well, we put the double finger back up and tell you, if you want, you could make a nice little case for it in your house. That's it. You know what it is for, and you know what it represents. And if you don't, go back and read the flippy email from yesterday. So today, here we go. The 2024 Daily Hustle 22 Day Challenge begins February 1st, and on February 22nd, Flippy, pictured above, will be made available for anyone who completes the Daily Hustle 22 Day Challenge. If you are receiving this email directly from me, you will receive the challenges in your inbox each morning. If you want to share the challenge with other family members or friends, please sign them up here. And there's a link for the sign up. Good luck. Flippy is counting on you. Now, on to today's regularly scheduled daily hustle. Buenos dias. Today is Apo Taco Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. Daily hustle quote of the day. If your vision doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. Angus Bukan. Daily hustle translation. 
We all have dreams in life, but as we get older, we tend to dismiss many of those dreams because it takes us way too far outside of our comfort zone and quite frankly, scares the living shit out of us. Ironically, as I look back and reflect upon anything significant that I have accomplished in my life at one point or another, those dreams that inevitably become accomplishments absolutely freaked me out. Playing Major League Baseball, getting married, having kids, doing an Ironman, running the Western States 100, writing a book, starting a podcast, doing a triathlon across America, chasing a 47-year-old speed golf world record, starting the Let Them Play Foundation, creating a travel ball organization, and co-founding No Filter Network were all terrifying. Yet, they were, and still to this day, are a big part of the lifeblood of who I am. Yes, it was and still is scary at times. But more than anything, it's fucking exhilarating. It keeps me charging each and every single day. Dream bigger. EB, P.S. to pick up a limited edition copy of the brand new Let Them Play, a coaching and parenting guide to use sportsbook. Click pick below or go to ericburns.com now to pre-order on Amazon. To recap the 49ers epic comeback against the Lions with legendary 49ers photographer Michael Zagaris. Join this morning's Daily Hustle Live interactive video podcast on nofilter.net or catch later in day on Apple, Spotify, Caffeine TV, or Fubo. I think we also go out to like 17 different platforms in total. So there you go. That is today's Daily Hustle. Uh, Summing it up, I think we all have been there. And I want you guys to go back and think about all the things that you would consider accomplishments and successes in your life at some point that's just fucking scary there's no other way to put it it's scary because there's a shit ton of risk that goes into it now the best way to deal with risk is to prepare every single day we pull our head off of the pillow in the morning there are going to be risks in life that we are going to inevitably face. But so long as we prepare and do everything in our power to try to put ourselves and our families in a position to succeed, that's all we can do. So knowing that, the bottom line is, let's make sure we prepare and let's make sure we step out of that comfort zone and we know that those scared feelings are just part of it. The issue, as we get older, you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to take that risk. I just like, dude, quit being a fucking pussy. Just go. Send it. And there's, look, there's certain things. Our risks later in life look a little different than our risks earlier in life. But those butterflies, and I think about the butterflies that I used to experience before I would step into a big league batter's box, especially on opening day. That's why I always wanted opening day just done. But it's frightening. And at the same time, it's also what lets us know we are alive. Okay, January 30th, 
top stories. We'll get into the game in a minute and break down the 49ers and Chiefs will be able to do this for two weeks. Right now, No Filter Network is contemplating our next move with Vegas. We have options to be there. We're trying to figure out how to most efficiently and effectively go down there and have it be a benefit, not only for No Filter Network, but also for our viewing audience and what's the best possible way to do that, whether it's Radio Row and our partnership with Believe or the Tony Bruno Show, whether it potentially could be something we do over at Circa. We're trying to figure it out. Look, whether you guys like it or not, whether we like it or not, we're very skewed toward the San Francisco Bay Area. And that's okay. Now, I believe Barstool, for example, started, was it New England? But they were very skewed towards that. Now, I'm looking at this here. Hold on a second. John Davis chimes in. He says, a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. Oh, General Patton. Are you kidding me? That's so good, man. A good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. That's the truth. Act now. And it's as simple as that. Thank you, John Davis. And by the way, if you're watching on Caffeine, you're watching on Fubo, you're listening on Apple or Spotify, if you want to join us live, each and every single morning we come on here at least five days a week. And we go live. And you're able to interact. We have a good core of people, whether it's a gene out there in the uh, great north in Minnesota. You have Michelle Drew down in the desert flatlands, John Davis in Collierville, Tennessee. You got Amo in Chattanooga, John Emmanuel Ramos Henderson out in Makati City. Just some of the regulars that will come on here and inspire me, not only to you know, do this. Most people, you guys have to understand, when they do a podcast, they sit in a room by themselves, they fucking do it, and then they upload it and edit it and all this other bullshit. Like, no, not, not interested. I'm going to come on here, going to be who I am for, I don't know, anywhere between 20 minutes and an hour and 20 minutes, and then it is what it is. Or, as I like to say, it is what it isn't. Huh, think about that one today. Okay. One of the top stories from the day. After a Russian doping decision, the United States suddenly has nine new Olympic gold medals. It's finally official. The U.S. figure skaters have been honored with a gold medal for their stunning team performance nearly two years ago at the Beijing Olympics. Quite frankly, it's just a feeling I've always dreamed of. One I can't believe is here, said Madison Choke, a member of the team at a press conference on Tuesday. I'm still wrapping my head around the reality of everything. It's just been a very happy 24 hours of news for us. News of the award began to trickle out Tuesday morning. The 
2022 U.S. figure skating team athletes have been awarded the gold medal in the team event at the Olympic Winter Games in Beijing 2022. The Team USA posted on social media, congratulations to Evan Bates, Karen Chen, Nathan Chen, Madison Choke, Zachary Donahue, Brandon Frazier, Madison Hubble, Alexa Kinnearum, and Vincent Zhao. At Tuesday's press conference ahead of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, Sarah Hirschland described the outcome as a win for clean, drug-free sport. This is a, about a celebration. It's also about having hope that a system is growing and improving, ensuring that all athletes from around the world can count on showing up and competing on a level playing field. The honor, the first-ever team Olympic gold medal for the United States, was delayed because of a doping scandal involving the Russians and skater Camila Valivea. She was allowed to compete in Beijing despite a prior test that showed she had used a cardiac medication that's banned as a performance-enhancing drug. Her masterful skating helped elevate the Russian team to an apparent gold medal victory, but a final ruling on Monday by the Court of Arbitration for Sport disqualified her performance. Okay, I get it. You got your gold medal. A little aggressive to say, oh, this is the happiest day of my life. I can't believe it. I mean, seriously? No. I mean, what I would say if I were receiving the gold medal is, hey, it's cool. I'm glad they got the shit right. I'm glad they're trying to allow all athletes to compete on a level playing field. I think this is a win for the sport. The gold medal is arbitrary for me. Like it's, it's yeah. I mean, do, do I have to get my silver one back now or like, how's that work? So I don't think this is going to be this monumental day where I'm crying. I, I just got, let's shut the fuck up. Are you serious? Just, be grateful that they finally got the shit right. Take your gold medal, celebrate with your team, do something kind of fun or funny, and then move on. But I don't need the dramatics of this. I don't need the, I've been waiting for this day my entire life sort of speech from any one of the U.S. skaters that got the gold medal. And I'm not saying that's exactly what they're like. I mean, this quote here might be a little misleading. I mean, let's go, let's go back to it. Let's go. I mean, it was right here. Quite frankly, it's just a feeling I've always dreamed. Oh, shut the fuck up. Come on. Seriously? The feeling I've always dreamed of? What? Two years after I competed? Having somebody... Call me up and like, oh, yeah, hey, by the way, they stripped the gold from the Russians. Now you guys got it. Uh, do me a favor. Send your silver back in the mail. Is that the day you've always dreamed of? I don't think so. It's not that like, look, it's about the performance. Nobody gives a fuck about the medal. Like, at the end of the day, even my cousin, John Gall, he's got a bronze medal. He does. It's cool. I don't know. I feel like kind of living vicariously through him. He's like, yeah, it's cool. 
It's a bronze medal. It's there. I don't want to say who gives a shit. Like, what he's going to remember is his experience at the Olympics and his performance and what he went through. That's the reward, not the fucking medal. That's not the day I always dreamed of. And that shouldn't be the day that any of those skaters ever dreamed of. It's what they're doing on the ice. And it's nailing the fucking triple axle or whatever other jumps they're doing out there. Right? I might be off on this. Kind of sound like a dick. <sighs> Forgive me. Okay. Let's uh, move on to less controversial topics. Transgenders. Surf legend Bethany Hamilton makes her stance on trans inclusion in women's sports very clear. First off, let's explain exactly who Bethany Hamilton is. She's a world champion surfer who had her arm bit off by a shark. She once showed up in the Oakland Coliseum promoting the movie that was made about her and threw out the first pitch to Barry Zito. But Z and I were both hanging out with her in the Oakland A's locker room, just a sweetheart of a girl. And she is now the, I believe, let's see. Interesting here. Okay. Let's just get to the article so we don't screw this thing up. Surfing star Bethany Hamilton. We speak English on the Daily Hustle. Surfing star. Wait, hold on a second. This is too good. Uh, RJ just sent a floating emoji. So if you come join us on No Filter Network, you can hit emojis that will float up over the screen. And RJ from Boise, Idaho, another one of our dudes, LTPOG, uh, he ends up sending a floating emoji of a pregnant man, which is just so apropos in this situation. So RJ, thank you for participating in the conversation but surf legend bethany hamilton makes her stance on trans inclusion women's sport very clear all right surfing star bethany hamilton doubled down on her assertions that trans inclusion in women's sports should be barred amid controversy over rip curl's new ambassador the surfing brand was criticized for using transgender surfer sasha lowerson in a promotion last week, male-bodied athletes should not be competing in female sports, period. Hamilton wrote on X, Hamilton made her stance on trans inclusion in women's sports clear last year after she spoke out against the World Surf League's rules governing transgender women competing in its events. Hamilton said in a video posted to her Instagram that she would not be participating in WSL events if the rule remains the wsl said transgender female athletes need to maintain a testosterone level of 5 nmol slash l for at least a year to participate in the women's division hamilton said in her video that she would rather see the wsl create a new division that's a great idea i mean all of this controversy that's surrounding transgenders and whether or not they should be allowed to compete as male or as females well it's pretty simple just create a whole tranny division and if you do that 
Well, I don't know. If you're going to have enough of them. But I got to believe after time, a certain amount of time, you will. Now, if there's a female, by the way, wanting to compete as a male, I don't think there's any issue with that. That's a double standard. The issue is when you have a quote-unquote male body, and this is what Bethany Hamilton is complaining about, like, we're just built different, right? Like, bigger, typically, stronger, typically, totally different. It's not fair. So, figure the shit out. Now, the WSL said transgender female athletes need to maintain the testosterone level, right? All right. Here's another quote from Hamilton. I personally think that the best situation we create division so that we can all have a fair opportunity to showcase their passion and talent. And I think it's really hard to imagine what the future of women's surfing will be like in 15, 20 years down the road if we move forward, allowing this major change. Hamilton receives support from Olympic gold medalist Julia Mancuso. Julia Mancuso, Squaw Valley, by the way. And Riley Gaines, a former NC2A swimmer who is now an OutKick contributor and host of the Gains for Girls podcast and an ambassador for Independent Women's Forum. Hamilton went on to clarify her points in the comments. Quote, I was messaging with a friend who is part of the LGBTQ community, and I really don't think at this point there's a solution that will please everybody. So just That's a very good point. There are different worldviews and that is part of life. I may not have the perfect answer, but I do feel the way I do and will continue to stand firm for what I shared. Quote, I mentioned testosterone because that is how Olympics and World Surf League decide if you can compete as a woman. Okay. Yes, even if you lower the testosterone level and you have this testosterone level at whatever it is for a year, you're still dealing with different body structures. So I don't care if the testosterone levels are the same or not the same. It's just different. Now, I've got to believe because there are some sensible people within the LGBTQ community that would actually agree and say, I don't know. I'm putting it this way. If I decided that all of a sudden I wanted to wake up tomorrow as Erica and not Eric, I'm not going to do it with the expectation that I'm going to go compete in the women's pickleball world circuit or whatever, right? Like, no. I mean, if I wanted to be Erica, I'd still just go be Erica and then I'd still sign up for whatever it is in the male division. And be like, yeah, I know it says I'm Erica, but I'm actually Erica. I was born Eric, but now I'm Erica. It's, it, that's what it comes down to. What were you fucking born? That's the bottom line. What were you born? Okay. Uh, RJ, thank you for your input. Uh, John Davis, frankly, this is all stupid. And no wonder terrorists want to kill. Jeez, come on, John. <laughs> it's that's not that bad, dude. Oh, and RJ complimenting John. We're live and interactive here on NoFilter.net. Okay, let's uh, 
move on. Two great first topics, though. You got the Olympic gold and the Russians and the doping. They're straight the transgenders. This is an article that I've avoided for like two days. I, I really have. I've looked at it. I'm like, dude, I don't give a fuck. I mean, I do, but not really. But then I just, it's just keep, they keep feeding it to me. I'm like, well, I don't know if Apple says I care. Maybe I care. And then finally today, I opened the fucking article. As Jason Kelsey retires, teammates tell stories from his and Travis's college days at Cincinnati. So the title of this thing is basically what were Travis and Jason like in college? I don't know. Let's, let's dig in here. Let's just for a little bit. This might be fun. Here we go. It's awesome because I can turn it on and it feels like I'm back in college hanging out with them. Said Craig Carey, a longtime friend and former teammate of both. I'm not surprised at how successful it is because I have lived it. The Kelsey brothers grew up together in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, less than two years apart in age. But the seeds of their already legendary NFL careers were planted at the University of Cincinnati, where the two became college teammates and roommates, and where they cemented the unique brotherly bond that would forever impact their shared futures on and off the field. Jason and Travis arrived in Cincinnati in 2006 and 2008, respectively. Both were largely unheralded prospects coming out of high school, Jason in particular, but his, the outsized personalities that have been on display in recent years were evident to those present back then. Those two, it was just insane. Like, holy shit, these guys are crazy. Said Tom DeTemple, a friend and college teammate with the Bearcats. Those two are really good at drinking beer. They used to love playing Nintendo 64 for hours, smashing the controls, and chugging beers at the same time. They would just come up with those random drinking games while playing, and they were incredibly good at it. Each had their own distinct characteristics. Jason wore flip-flops, listened to country music. Travis was into fashion and hip-hop, and there was a clear big brother, little brother dynamic between the two, but both were outgoing and engaging in ways that drew others to them and drew them to each other, particularly on the same college campus whether at a house party or throwing darts in the back corner of a bar called Uncle Woody's. They're both people persons, said Ruben Johnson, another mutual friend and former teammate. They love people. People love them. They have that energy. Look, it's not a secret to lie. When you have that energy, you attract people to you, including the world's Number one superstar, one of the most famous people of all time, clearly attracted to Travis Kelsey. You have that energy that you put out, then you typically get it back. My experience hanging out with Travis at the Super Bowl a few years back was exactly that. It's just a dude. And it was a dude that wanted to party. He wanted to have fun. Always had a smile on his face was very grateful. It was the bullet, by the way, who was taking care of the, I remember the bill, it was like $32,000. So I mean, Travis wasn't paying that. He didn't have any money back then. And he was just a guy and a guy's guy. And you know what that attracts? 
when you smile and you dance and all of a sudden just like, yeah, people, good people keep coming at you. So this doesn't surprise me one bit at all for my limited experience uh, with them. It says both of them, when you put the ball down and it was time to play, were rabid competitors. See, that's the other thing about this. None of this works if they're pussies on the football field. But you put the ball down, and these guys are clearly ready to go. It says, yet it was relative obscurity of nasty, romp-filled college house where the two spent a year unexpectedly sharing the same bedroom that helped lay the groundwork for so much of what followed Super Bowl rings, Hall of Fame resumes, that widely popular podcast, and their culture-spanning stardom. My wife loves her podcast. I mean, I can't get my wife to listen to the fucking Daily Hustler. She's all over the Kelsey's podcast. Jeez. I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong as these guys are doing everything right. Following a playoff loss Monday night, it was reported that Jason Kelsey informed teammates he plans to retire after 13 seasons and six All-Pro nominations with the Philadelphia Eagles. Travis and the Kansas City Chiefs play Sunday at Buffalo. Okay, this is I'm an old article. Like I said, it was an old article, but just kept popping up. So figured now was as good a time as any to dive in. Okay, Swifties, getting ready for Vegas. Here we go. Travis Kelsey, his Chiefs, and likely Taylor Swift are going to the Super Bowl. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Congratulations to the AFC Conference in this Rolling Stone magazine. So I like pulling articles that are about sports from publications that don't write about sports, Rolling Stone being one of them. Congratulations to the AFC Conference Championship winners, Kansas City Chiefs, and Taylor Swift's boyfriend. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just not sitting right. It's just knowing it's Taylor Swift's boyfriend. I asked Callie yesterday, he's my 13-year-old daughter. I said, what would you do if Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift broke up? Because Callie has a sweatshirt that is a Travis Kelsey sweatshirt. And she said she'd burn it. I said, what? Burn it? I thought you're now a Chiefs fan. A Travis Kelsey fan. She goes, yeah. But if they broke up, then it clearly means that he is not worthy of her and he is also not worthy of me wearing his sweatshirt. I go, Callie, come on. Are you serious? She goes, yep. I go, well, what if it was Taylor that got a new boyfriend and just moved on? And she goes, I'd burn it. I mean, poor Travis. What the fuck? It's terrible. Okay. Um. Travis Kelsey's boyfriend, tight end, whatever. The Chiefs and likely Taylor Swift will be heading to the Super Bowl. LVIII, that's 58 if you're counting at home in English. Uh, it's in Las Vegas, February 11th, where they'll face off against the Detroit Lions or the San Francisco. I think this was written before they even won that. It says, who they're vying for the NFC Championship. We already went over that. It's already done. Before the game, Swift. Showed up to the stadium dressed in a red sweater, wearing classic red lipstick, 
repping the Chiefs' signature red color and smiling for the cameras after the 17-10 win. The couple celebrated on the field, flashing smiles, sharing hugs, and kisses. Swift has been present cheering for Kelsey for numerous games throughout the course of the season. Apparently, it's 12. Holy shit. That's a lot of games. 12 games. I mean, most wives don't make a road trip, yet she's hitting every single game. I love it. All right. So, anyway, the big question is whether or not she will end up being in Las Vegas. I think there's zero chance, or I should say a very slight chance, if at all, she would not be there. I mean, you're not going to 12 games and missing this because you happen to be in Japan and don't want to hop on a flight. All she's got to do is hop on a flight. She's back in plenty of time right after it. Hop on a flight. I mean, the way they travel, you kid me? I mean, it's PJs and champagne and caviar. And I'm sure there's a masseuse on flight and everything else. All right. Back to some real football. Biggest question facing San Francisco 49ers and Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 58. After a thrilling pair of conference championship games, the Super Bowl 58 match was finally set. The Kansas City Chiefs will be meeting the San Francisco 49ers at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas February 11th with the Lombardi Trophy up for grabs. This existing clash is a rematch of the Super Bowl four years ago. Chiefs won 31-20 after a thrilling fourth quarter comeback. Much has changed in four years since that game, including many of the players on both rosters. With so many new places in place, there could be a far different outcome this time around. With that in mind, the biggest questions each team will need to answer to win this showdown in Sin City. The 49ers, you ready for this? Have never beaten Patrick Mahomes. Although the Niners have only faced Kansas City superstar quarterback three times, Twice in the regular season and once in the Super Bowl, they've lost each time with an average margin of defeat of over two touchdowns. That shows how lopsided all these contests have been, which doesn't bode well for the Niners now that the Lombardi Trophy is back on the lines. Mahomes has dominated his impending foe through the air, completing nearly 66% of his passes, over 1,000 yards, eight tutties, and three victories. Not only will the Niners need to stop Mahomes from airing it out, but they'll also have to outscore the prolific passer. The one thing that scares me in all this, a Chiefs defense. If they can pressure Big Cock Brock, yeah, that could be an issue. And we've seen him get agile where if that's what it's going to take for him to elude pressure, hell yeah. If we know that Brock Purdy's going to run and he go runs for 50 to 100 yards, that could be the total game changer. If you think about the difference between the Ravens and the Lions, the Ravens had pressure on Brock Purdy start to finish and he had a fucking terrible game. The Lions had pressure on Brock Purdy early and then in the second half, he countered it with quick releases and runs. This is a rocket science, folks. Look, I played football. I've never coached football. I love football. I watch a lot of football. But that 
is the winning successful formula when you go against a great D. It says the last time these two teams met, they shared the field was October 2020. This is a long time ago. Mahomes was his usual brilliant self in the game, throwing for 423 yards, three touchdowns. The game notably occurred right after Christian McCaffrey blocked pressure trade to San Francisco on the start running back, logged only 23 snaps at Niners debut. So that, I mean, look, I, the, the 49ers' two best offensive weapons didn't even, they weren't, they weren't there, right? You didn't have Brock Purdy and you didn't have Christian McCaffrey yet. He was there just in very limited form. So San Francisco dropped to three and four following the defeat, but went on to rip off 12 consecutive victories on their way to the NFC Championship game appearance last year. The Niners not only found a spark with McCaffrey in their backfield during the stretch, but perhaps more importantly, they finally identified a franchise quarterback. Brock Purdy steadily developed into a game-changing signal caller over the next two seasons and could be the main reason this organization finally best Mahomes. It won't be easy for Purdy to outduel Mahomes in the first head-to-head meeting, but the 49ers are far better equipped to win the Super Bowl than they were with Jimmy G under center four years ago. And that's goes without even saying that Chiefs proved they need an elite receiving core to win the Super Bowl last year. They lifted the Lombardi trophy despite trading wide out Tyreek Hill to Miami in the offseason. Okay. Let's see if that comes back to haunt them. Because it did early in the season when they were sucking ass. And it could again when you get down the stretch. You need options. And the 49ers have more options on offense than the Kansas City Chiefs have. Ultimately, that could be the determinant, especially if this ends up being some kind of shootout. A lack of elite pass catchers has hindered the Chiefs throughout the 2023 campaign, as I was just talking about. The team led the league in drops during the regular season and couldn't get reliable production of anyone besides tight end Kelsey, who looked to be slightly regressing at the age of 34 and emerging rookie Rashi Rice. As a result, Mahomes came back to earth following his 2022 MVP campaign. The future Hall of Famer threw a career-high 14 interceptions. Will experience a perpetuous drop in passing yardage. Yeah, but they couldn't catch the fucking ball. Although Mahomes has... Thus far, avoided turnovers during the playoffs, and that's huge. He'll have his work cut out for him trying to keep a clean sheet against San Francisco's defense that tied for the fifth most takeaways this season. The Chiefs' offense has also committed some uncharacteristic mistakes throughout the year, which has creeped into the playoffs as well. The team looked especially out of sync in the red zone during its wildcard round with the Dolphins, mishandling a snap and having a touchdown taken off the board due to a penalty. I don't mean I'm say out of source there. Uh, while the goal line fumble in the divisional round allowed the Buffalo Bills to linger a lot longer than they should have after not scoring a single point in the second half of the AFC Championship game clash with the Ravens and Chiefs need to get their offense cleaned up to become the first back-to-back Super Bowl champs in two decades. Given the elite quarterback and pass catchers involved, In Super Bowl 58, the outcome of this game is likely to be determined in the trenches. The side that emerges victorious in the pass-rushing battle has a fantastic chance to raise the trophy. I do agree with that. The Chiefs and 49ers each have pieces to get the opposing quarterback and protect their own, making this arguably 
the most intriguing of the potential bouts set to be on display in Las Vegas. Kansas City ranked second in the league, 57 sacks. Reminds me of Derek Thomas, although he was number 58. What a badass like I was. During the regular season, it continued their excellence throughout the playoffs. The team has amassed six sacks in three postseason contests, including four on Lamar Jackson this past weekend, which is tough to do. However, offensive line isn't as strong of a suit for the Chiefs right now, especially at the tackle spot. Starting left tackle Donovan Smith has regressed in his age 30 campaign, earning a concerning 55.4 PFF grade. Right tackle, Jawan Taylor, has fared even worse with a 52.1 PFF grade this season. I don't know what the fuck that means, but apparently it's not good. To make matters worse, Pro Bowl left guard Joe Thurney missed the AFC Championship game because of a pectoral injury. It's unclear whether he'll make it back in time to protect Mahomes in the Super Bowl. The 49ers could take advantage of the Chiefs' protection woes by stepping up their efforts on the edge. They fared decently well in terms of pressure generated during the 2023 campaign. They recorded 48 sacks on the year tied for seventh most in the league, but they haven't been able to get home during the playoff. Superstar edge rusher Nick Bosa is the only 49er to record a sack during this year's playoffs after collecting a pair on Jared Goff on Sunday. No one on the team found a way to bring down Green Bay quarterback Jordan Love once in the divisional round. The 49ers have protected Brock Purdy relatively well in 2023, but they did let him get sacked 28 times during the regular season. The offensive line remains anchored by ageless wonder. Trent Williams. We need to do a whole show on him. I'd love to get Michael Zagaris' take on Trent Williams. Fascinating dude. We'll dig in. English? Dig into him tomorrow. Who is still playing an extremely high level despite being his 13th NFL season. The rest of the offensive line has its issues. However, the Chiefs will likely exploit right tackle. Colton McKivitz. Why you got to pick on Colton? It's fucked up. Uh, the upcoming clash in the trenches could be nothing short of a riveting. And the stakes couldn't be higher with Super Bowl 58 on the line. Can't see his defense has fared far better than this offense this season. That hasn't changed the playoff. The Chiefs held an explosive Miami Dolphins attack to a meager seven points in the wildcard round, limited Buffalo to 24 points on the road the following week. Their best performance arguably came in the conference championship, holding Baltimore Ravens to only 10 points. And it earned them a spot in the Super Bowl despite a lackluster 17-point showing on offense. If you told me the Kansas City Chiefs were going to score 17 points in the AFC Championship game and said, go ahead and tell me whether they would have won or lost that game with the 17, I would have said 90% chance they fucking lost. Maybe even higher. There was no way Lamar and the Ravens were not going to score 17 or more. That's what I would have told you, but hey, what do I know? That's why I took the Ravens and lost money. It all starts, uh, Kansas City, excuse me, Kansas City's defense has work cut out against the 49ers. San Francisco is loaded with skill position talent. The Niners head coach, Kyle Shanahan, has figured out how to best utilize all of them in a system that appears unstoppable when firing on all cylinders. It starts with Christian McCaffrey, who was a legitimate MVP candidate this year and has raised the bar during the playoffs. The versatile back had 188 yards and four scores, 37 carries, 72 yards on 11 receptions, 
over his two postseason games to date. Brandon Ayuk may be the toughest to shut out right now. While his NFC Championship game numbers don't jump off the screen, his highlight reel catch of a ball that bounced off the defender's helmet and subsequent grab helped jumpstart the team's epic comeback against the Detroit Lions. Ayuk has been locked in during the last three months, scoring six of his eight total touchdowns this season, including the playoffs since the calendar flipped to November. <laughs> Look, I don't care who the fuck you are. You got to have some luck in this. You have to. It doesn't matter. You could be the greatest team. Ask the Dodgers. Ask the Braves, the two best teams in baseball this year. If you don't have luck on your side, shit gets tough. Well, the same thing with the 49ers. If the 49ers had that ball picked off by the Lions defender and not have it ricochet off his helmet and then into Ayuk's hands, I don't know if the Niners win that game. Maybe they do. It seemed like they had a lot of momentum going. They would have had the Lions pinned back deep in their own territory. They seemingly moved the ball at will in the second half. So I'm not going to say that they don't win that game without that catch, but it sure as shit would have been a whole lot harder. Every championship team needs that one play. They need that one game, right? And I thought it may have been the Green Bay game that was going to be the tight one. I thought they were going to blow Detroit out of the water. And apparently that wasn't the case. But what it does do is it hardens them up for the Super Bowl where they're like, look, yeah, we've only played two playoff games, but in both of those games, We've been down. We've had the battle. So if they go down a touchdown, maybe even two touchdowns to Kansas City, they will remain steadfast. That's why we sit here all the time on the daily hustle, preaching per aspera ad astra, through hardship to the stars. When you realize that all things can propel you forward. Successes, failures, opportunities, no matter what it is, you have to understand this is a chance for us to get better. This is a chance for us to grow from. Well, the Niners can grow from these two games and use this to help them take down Super Bowl 58. They're going to win this fucking game. They are. They are. I, I I don't know how. I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't have all the answers to you know, where this is going to happen. It just, it just will. I have that feeling that this is the right team in the right spot. In all due respect to the Chiefs, they had a fucking hell of a run to get there. And their argument, if you want to make an argument for them, is just, look, the hottest team in football. You just, you took down a good Miami team. Good, not great. Good Miami team at home. It was minus 27 degrees. I was all fucked up. And then you went into Buffalo and beat Josh Allen on his home turf and then took down what was considered the best team in the NFL in the Baltimore Ravens. It's really easy to make a case for the Chiefs. And they've done it before. 
Patrick Mahomes. Someone said this to me last year. They said he's going to be in the discussion of greatest quarterbacks of all time. Like, and he, and he already is. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I think it was Henry that said it. I'm like, dude, no way. Like, the, the guy's, what, he's got a couple Super Bowls, but it's it's just in an MVP and, yeah, okay. But I, I guess, let's see him do it for a little bit longer. Well, here he is. He's back in the Super Bowl again. So, regardless of what happens from here on going out, we do have to put him in discussion as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I need to see an accumulation of stats over a number of years. And uh, of all time, like it's even the thing with Otani. Like is Otani the greatest player in baseball right now? Of course. Is he one of the most skilled players of all time? Of course. Is he one of the greatest players of all time? No fucking chance. Not yet. Not right now. Not a top 10. They have a statistical war that establishes that. I'm sure they have the same sort of thing in football, right? And war gets accumulated over years and years and years. And if you want to be considered one of the greatest of all time, you got to do it and then do it again and again and again and again. And then we can start talking about Patrick Mahomes in the same sentence with Joe Montana, with Tom Brady, with, believe it or not, John Elway, Dan Marino, a lot of the guys. Drew Brees is certainly in that category. Peyton Manning is in that category. So, I'm not willing to put him there yet. Would he be in the top 10 right now? Yeah, probably. For sure. But getting towards the top? No. Not yet. Okay. Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel remains a game-breaking weapon who can contribute to both pass catching and rushing. He led the team with 89 yards on eight receptions this past weekend despite coming into the game with a (coughs) shoulder injury that he suffered. Excuse me. I'm still trying to get my throat back from Mexico. Way too much tequila. That he suffered early in the divisional round. If the 49ers get him going early, this could terrorize Kansas City's defense throughout the Super Bowl. George Kittle had a quiet NFC Championship game, not just two catches for 27 yards, but the veteran tight end led his position in receiving yards and scored six times this season. He'll be a good bet to score at least once more in the Super Bowl by exploiting mismatches and serving as a safety valve for Purdy, that is a good bet. If you want to start thinking about some of the prop bets, I'm sure a George Kittle touchdown would be like plus 300, at least plus two something. Yeah, that would be a good bet. And what you do, and a lot of times, think about this. The game plan that the Chiefs are going to make on the 49ers is going to come off of their last game. This always happens. And so if they game plan off of their last game, they're going to be, what, double teaming Ayuk, having a Hawkeye, maybe a single person uh, on defense following Debo everywhere he goes. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, same sort of thing. you got to have, like, two guys on McCaffrey at all times. Well, if you do that, what does that do? It opens up the field for George fucking Kittle. And say what you want about the two catches, in the NFC Championship game, if you watched him through the course of the game and what he meant to that 49er offense from a blocking perspective, he was a fucking savage. That was really, really fun to watch. But I do think he would be a good bet to go ahead and say he's going to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I, From my brief experience in the football world, 
I scored four touchdowns my in the semifinal CCS game against King City. We played Santa Cruz in the final. Santa Cruz had a guy by the name of Brendan Iambedejo. An absolute fucking badass. He went on to play at UCLA and then went on to play several years in the NFL with the Ravens and the Chicago Bears. Uh, a guy that I still keep in contact with today. Well, Brandon Iambadejo's job in the CCS final game against Santa Cruz was to shut me down. And you know what he did? He shut me down. But the problem was is that I wasn't even the focal point of the offense. I was one of our guys, right? I was maybe the Debo in it. But then you had the Ayuk and the Christian McCaffrey. We had a guy, Eric Lewis, who was like the combination of all of it. He was part McCaffrey, part Ayuk, part Debo. He just fucking did everything. Tiny dude. Still coaching college football this day. He's at Navy now. And his dad, Sherman Lewis, a longtime coordinator in the NFL, but he was our dude offensively. And so by Amadejo focusing on me, they shot, stopped the up the middle runs. And I don't remember how many yards I had. It just wasn't a lot. But we had Eric Lewis take it at the house every single time on a fly sweep as we blew them out of the water. So we'll see how Kansas City tries to defend the 49ers offense. But it is going to be a challenging task. It says right now, it says, can anyone stop Isaiah Pacheco right now? Opposing defenses certainly haven't been able to. The second you're running back, this could be an issue. For I don't know. I don't know. I don't wholeheartedly believe at all that the Niners can stop the run. I just don't. I mean, when Detroit in that first half was handing the ball off on third and 12, and they're getting it, and then they're doing it again. Like it was, it was third and two, maybe third and three. Maybe I, I don't know what it was, but they were down by the goal line. It was in goal. And it was like, boom, four yards in the end. So no problem. No problem. Like a Cadillac smoking a fucking cigarette on the way. So we uh, we shall see if they can stop Pacheco. But I, they're not going to stop him. You just got to hope to contain him. It says injuries haven't slowed Pacheco. Despite being designated as questionable, Prior to the AFC Championship game, doing a toe and ankle injury is a powerful 5'10", 216. Is that the perfect size running back? He was able to suit up and pound the rock constantly. While he wasn't as effective against the Ravens as he has been in recent weeks, he still mustered 68 yards on 24 carries. I mean, that's a workload. Matching his career playoff high for rushes. Pacheco now heads into the Super Bowl, having piled up 254 yards, three touchdowns, 63 carries during the 2024 NFL playoffs. The San Francisco defense will need to prioritize shutting down the 24-year-old limiting his ability to put points on the board and churn the clock. The 49ers initially seemed like one of the worst possible matchups for Pacheco after they allowed just 89.7 yards per game on the ground during the regular season, the third best mark of the NFL, but they haven't, but they've been far more susceptible to opposing running backs during the playoffs. Aaron Jones and David Montgomery both put up big numbers against the squad with the Niners allowing to combine 318 yards on the ground in their matchups against the Detroit Lions and Green Bay Packers. San Francisco can't shore up its defensive front and get things figured out. Expect a healthy, well-rested Pacheco to be ran, run rampant in the Super Bowl. Yeah, hey, we'll see.
We'll say right, maybe does, maybe doesn't. But they're gonna have to figure it out. They got to do better. They got to do better. If, if they could be the team that they were during the regular season, they're good. If they can't, they're in trouble. So the question is going to be, will their offense be able to keep pace? So if Pacheco's running it, Mahomes and Kelsey are doing their thing, Niners just going to have to keep pace. I like the over. I do. It's like 47 and a half. It's not a huge number. Those are going to be 50 points plus scored in this game. Okay, I just got a call from a 415 number. I got to believe it's the girls. Let me hit him back. If he's willing to come on right now, actually, I don't have time. But I will try to get him on tomorrow. We'll figure out the whole thing, get him set up, and then he can take over the entire Daily Hustle Hour tomorrow. Just one of my favorite people I've ever met in life, a legend of the industry, San Francisco 49ers, Oakland A's photographer. He took me into my great stories. I'll tell it tomorrow when he's there, but he took me into the the Niners locker room and on the field when they had this huge playoff victory in like 03 against the New York football giants. And I was there like working with him. I was playing in the big leagues, of course, with the A's, but I was carrying his bag and like I was his assistant, just hustling and bustling. I was on the side of the whole fucking game. Just so cool. No other way to put it. All right. Everyone have a fantastic day. Thrill and I are on tonight. That's already been scheduled. And We'll see you tonight for Deuces Wild. Tell a friend, please, come and join 6 p.m. Pacific. And don't forget to go to ericburns.com, limited edition. Pick up the Let Them Play book, a parenting and coaching guide to use sports. You can also get yourself a foot reflexology board, an effortless book, a Daily Hustle 222 book, and look at Flippy. He's waiting for anybody willing to take on and complete the 22-day challenge. See ya!